something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name hey, I know. I love oh, I love the name Wave your hand if you love him. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that there's something about his name that is just irresistible. And at the same time, to some people, it's offensive. God, we want to live lives that make it irresistible. God, we want to live our lives in such a way that when we claim Jesus' name, that it means something by the way we live. So God, I pray that you would help me to serve well this morning. Come and just from a scrambled place in my mind, just pray that we would, um, God, be able to connect with your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something, I'm just kidding. I love, I love the dread I see, especially in my wife's eyes when I do that. That's awesome. What's in a name is the title this morning. And I want you to think about your name. What is really in a name? When you think about somebody's name, it is what identifies the person as a whole, right? People automatically place value and personality to a name. So after Heather and I got married, this happened either on Facebook or we ran into somebody. Apparently, Heather went to uh, school with a guy named Nick Reed, right? And so we, uh, I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if it happened on Facebook or if we ran into somebody, they were like, you married Nick Reed? And she was like, oh, no, a different one. Because apparently, the Nick Reed that she went to high school with, um, his personality did not fit with Heather Clarkson. That was just, that, so this person was like ultimately surprised, you married Nick Reed? And I don't say that as in like disgust, but obviously, Heather got the better of the two. I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> But your name is your identity. If, if your name is stolen, someone could totally run away with your life, right? I mean, we assume certain things about people and the way they should act and the way they should talk and the way they should do things when we say their name. So if I, when I think of the name Heather, I obviously automatically, immediately think beautiful, right? That's a good thing about preaching. You can just rack up brownie points like crazy from up front. When I think of the name Raleigh, I think intimidation, or at least I did for a while. It's, it's healthy intimidation, right? And Okay, sideways here. When I called Raleigh to make, to ask him to, if I, not marry her, but date her, okay? Three hours before I called Raleigh to date Heather, ask, to ask his permission, she called him to warn him, okay? Say, Dad, I know... This is not necessarily necessary, but remember Nick? I was kind of, I was a lot more shy back then than I was now, and I was incredibly intimidated by Raleigh. So when I called, that was still, up to this point in my life, the most nervous I have ever been. More nervous than, probably more nervous than at my wedding, more nervous than when I asked to marry her, all of that. Just totally, totally nervous. And the one thing he said to me was, you know, Nick, I've raised my daughter to make good choices, and so if she chooses you, that's all right with me, but no one will ever, and then I, I believe there was probably a pause there, no one will ever love my daughter 
more than I do. Yes, sir. Now, I, I don't know, I beg to differ, but. <laughs> oh, man, okay. When I hear the name Kyle, I think preacher, sports, realtor, father. I think Cade for some reason, maybe because that's the, the crazier side of that family. Um, when I think Tim, I think music, Kansas, Colorado, emotional, right? When Tim preaches, there's going to be tears, good tears. When I think Vance, I think hard worker, loyal, jokester, right? When I hear the name Nan, I just think loopy. I th- or I guess that maybe goes with Nan and slash Debbie, okay? I'm not intimidated by Debbie. She's my mother-in-law, but I love her. So just the other day, I was headed into work. I was driving in, um, and I was praying, and I was specifically praying that God would use me, use my family, use this church, use my wife, use my kids to change this community and to grow the kingdom of God, specifically. Um, And that morning, I was reading from Proverbs 31 about the Proverbs 31 woman and all the good things about this woman, what a man should look for in a woman. And one thing specifically it said was that her husband had a good name and was well known in the city. And so after I read that, it gave me like a self-esteem complex for like forever. I, I mean, I still have it, I think. And I just started thinking about that night and day since then, I thought, Lord, I mean, seriously, what are my credentials to be doing what you asked me to do? I mean, who am I to go out there and in the power of the name of Jesus do what he asked me to do? I mean, because half the time, the stuff that he asked me to do, I think my first reaction is fear. Like, mm-mm. God, I don't want to do that. And so I got, I got this complex, like, who knows my name? And who am I to do what God has asked me to do? But then I sat, I sat down to, to write this message. I realized that it doesn't really matter if people know my name, right? I mean, this may sound cliche-ish, but this gave me a lot of peace and a lot of um, hope for what God has us doing here at this church, for what God has me doing for what God has our leaders doing for what God has for my family. It just gave me a lot of hope. Because if no one ever remembers my name, when they think of the name Nick Reed, and they remember nothing good or spectacular about who I was, if the only thing they remember is that I loved Jesus and that my name gets replaced with the name Jesus when I die. Just recently went to Paula Foster's mom's funeral, and I was just talking about this with her right before the service today, saying that when I die, I want my funeral to be like that. Because I never knew her mom, but after going to her funeral, I wanted to, right? Because I don't even remember your mom's name. But that's the point. Pauline Holt, I remember it now. But that's the point. I remember going to the funeral because it was all about Jesus. And that's what I want it to be about for me. 
And I know that as I live my life, if I associate with the name Jesus, people are either going to hate me, they're going to love me, or they're going to be indifferent. And sometimes indifferent is the worst of all three. Because we live in a society where it's just like, hey, whatever you believe, that's good for you, right? But when I claim the name Jesus, I am replacing my own name, and it starts to not matter about Nick Reed. But it matters about how Nick Reed points people to Jesus. And so... The one thing I know to be true, I don't know a lot, but the one thing I know to be true is that the only name that has the power to change someone's life, and I'm not just talking about their physical wealth or their physical health or anything like that. I'm talking about the only name that has the power to change somebody from the inside out is the name of Jesus. Okay, no other name in scripture and no other name in history has the power to change people's lives like the name of Jesus. And if that's true, and if that's what I want, if that's what we want as a church, then it's just that simple. Hold on to the name Jesus. On Tuesday, the Gideons, the Gideons are they're people that put the Bible in your hotel room. You know, when you open the drawer and there's the Bible and it says, placed by the Gideons. Well, the Gideons were in my office um, from the West Des Moines camp this last Tuesday, and we just talked about the importance of the Bible. And the one thing that they stressed was that when they give out Bibles to new Christians or non-Christians, they give New Testaments. Why? Because they want the first thing that is formed in a new Christian's life is a high view of the gospel and a high view of the name Jesus above anything else in the Bible. And why is that important? It's not that the, that the rest of the Old Testament is not important. It is, but the entire Bible, the whole story of this book is God's plan to redeem us, to buy us back into a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus. I was just talking to someone this week, and I heard that you never want to preach a message that would still be true. Okay, You never want to preach a message that would still be true if Jesus didn't die on the cross and raise again. Let me say that again. You never want to preach a message that would still be true if Jesus didn't die on the cross and raise again. Why? Because then all I'm telling you is what you can get from a good motivational speaker, right? All I'm, I'm telling you is, is something that you could get from going to counseling or get, get from going to someone wise in your life. But when Jesus died and rose again, that changed everything. It changed everything. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Again, when we left off before our Wise Living in a Smart World series, um, we left off in chapter 9, at the beginning of chapter 9, it was the transfiguration, and then Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And now we're going to start in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. So just listen, it's going to be on the screen, in your Bible, on your iPad. Um, just listen to this. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. 
And he did not want anyone to know, that's Jesus, he did not want any, anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, or Capernaum, however you want to say it, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? They kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to, to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Remember, before we started our last series, I talked about two phases of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. Okay? Phase one was that his disciples would get to the point where they could identify who Jesus was as the son of the living God. Phase number two was that they would be able to understand what Jesus' mission on earth was as the Son of the living God. Because they had this thought that Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, would come to earth as an earthly king. Right? And that he would save them from Roman oppression and that their kingdom on earth would be awesome and glorious. And he would save them. But that's not what his mission was. His mission was very, very different than they assumed. And then phase three is what we're introduced, introduced, who says that? Introduced to this morning, and this is phase three. That we would be able to, and that his disciples were learning to live out the mission that God specifically had for them on earth because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus had done. So it was first knowing who Jesus was. Second, knowing why Jesus was on earth. And now third, what does that mean for us? 
What is our responsibility when we claim the name Jesus to live in a certain way? The name Jesus and your name, whatever it may be, calls you in people's minds to live in a certain way, right? Because of your name, you dress a certain way. Because of your name, people assume certain things about you. Because of your name, you act a certain way. Because of your name, people think that you would or you wouldn't do certain behaviors, right? Well, when we claim the name Jesus, it calls us to live in a certain way. We had a baptism about, I don't know, a month ago, but it's, I just don't know when it is because it's still fresh in my mind because it was pretty awesome, right? We had some planned baptisms and we had some spontaneous baptisms, but they were all about people willing to come up and go down in the water and come up and say, I am willing to, in front of all you people, and I might not even know you all, but I'm willing to, in front of you and in front of the world, say, I want to identify with the name of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And now when we see that, we now get to hold those people accountable to the fact that they said they desired to live and to associate with the name Jesus, right? Because we know it doesn't make sense to claim to be something and then not to live according to what we claim to be. And that was awesome. That was awesome. But baptism and claiming that, it's not salvation. Salvation happened before that. But claiming that is also like asking all of the people sitting here, please keep me accountable to this. Please keep me accountable to living the standard that claiming the name Jesus calls for. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. Matthew chapter 5, right at the beginning, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is really one of the first times that Jesus is in front of a huge crowd of people in his public ministry. Okay? And so you would think, Jesus, this is your chance to knock the ball out of the park. Whatever you think is most important that these people know right now at the beginning of your public ministry, this is your chance. Right? Do it. And so the things he says here have been called... We call them the Beatitudes. Why? Because the things that he lays out here are things that we should desire to be, the attitudes that we should desire to have as we live in accordance with the name of Jesus. And so they are pretty important because they comprise Jesus' first big public address to people. Okay, so he's got this huge crowd. And starting in verse 3, this is what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is Jesus speaking. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Most of what Jesus ever taught, 
I mean, this was the first time he was in front of a huge crowd of people. But most of what Jesus ever taught to his small group of disciples, to his small, smaller group of 12 disciples, to his larger group of about 100 disciples, to the crowds that followed, all of these things were counterintuitive and countercultural. I mean, really? Poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for Jesus' name. I mean, really? Jesus? Imagine being a disciple at that point. Like, they have already chosen to follow Jesus, their rabbi, okay? They've already chosen to follow him, and now they're thinking, Jesus, wait a minute. This is not the type of stuff that is going to help us take over Roman rule and save us from oppression. These are not the kind of attitudes that we need to have to win a physical fight here. Really, Jesus? Let's go to verse 34 back in Mark. Chapter 9. So Jesus asked them, what, are you, what were you discussing on the way? And it says, but they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. You see, this points to their misconception of what the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of the Messiah, was like. Because how did Jesus respond to them? It says, he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. It's completely opposite of what they thought. They thought, in this earthly kingdom, who gets to sit next to Jesus? In this earthly kingdom, who's going to be greatest? What roles are we going to be assigned? Like, Peter, you're going to, uh, no, I'm going to be this. I, I've, I've done these things. I'm going to be in this position of high authority in Jesus' kingdom. Andrew, you're going to be this. Thomas, you're going to be all these things. Okay, who's going to be the greatest? And they were fighting about it, which means they probably had a little pride in themselves, right? If they're arguing about it, they're probably arguing for their, for their own cause. Like, I'm going to be this. I'm going to be this because this is what Jesus thinks of me and this is what I have done. And Jesus, just with one sentence, totally blows their minds. Listen, you've got it all wrong. If you want to be great in my kingdom, be a servant. Why does that work? Why does all that stuff that we read from Matthew 5 work in the kingdom of God? Because it's not an earthly kingdom. It's a kingdom that happens inside of our hearts. It's a kingdom where, in earthly kingdoms, they can, that only changes behavior, right? But in God's kingdom, he wants to change us from the inside out, he wants to change us at the core. He wants to change us at the heart. We've said this so many times, that God is after the heart. Verse 35, Jesus says, If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. If you want to be great, then become a servant. It's not about the huge and grandeur 
that you can produce from your life. It's about focusing your life on what Jesus wants us to live in every single moment of every day. I spend so much time thinking about my life in terms of the fact that, man, in five years from now, in six years from now, and I, I, honestly, I think about, think about how this church, how big this church is going to be in five years from now. Think about how big this church is going to be in six years from now, ten years from now. Think about how awesome it's going to be. But you know what? When I keep thinking about the future and how life's going to be then and how grand it's going to be and how big it's going to be and how many people we're going to reach, those things aren't going to happen because the method in which I cause those things to happen, in which we cause those things to happen, if we want the name of Jesus to affect people from the inside out, I mean, we sing that song, from the inside out, that the effect that Jesus' name has on people is an everlasting, long-lasting fruit, the only way that that's going to happen is if we begin to focus on what did Jesus say about how I should live every single individual day of my life. What should my perspective be in every single situation in my life? Everything that he taught was counterintuitive. In verse 37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. If the, Here's the deal. This is another chance for Jesus to kind of, through a back door, try to get his disciples to understand that, again, his authority to say the things that he was saying was because he was God. So receiving Jesus and receiving the name of Jesus is just as good as receiving God the Father, the creator of all things. And that was the point for Jesus. It was that because of who he was, he wanted to do the will of his Father in heaven. And now for us, because we claim the name Jesus... If you're here this morning and you claim the name Jesus, then we want to live a certain way. So Jesus goes on to teach them more about the perspective that they need to make, and they need to make a shift in their perspective. So a question I have halfway through, or a little more than halfway through, is what in my life, what shift do I need to make? What shift do you need to make in the way that you think about how God works in your life? Because I fear and I know that this is true in my life. I spend so much time trying to figure out formulas for how to win people to God. I've, I spend time trying to figure out formulas for how to live the Christian life. When I think it is more a shift that needs to happen in me is, Nick, maybe it's not about figuring it out. Maybe it's not about formulas. Maybe it's not about that there is one specific thing you have to do. What I want you to be all about is I want you to be consumed, consumed with me in such a way that as you live your life, you don't hide the Jesus part of it, right? There are more stories in the past year since we've been in this building of people, all, all of the stories of any new people that have come or people that we are reaching outside of these walls that are being changed for Jesus, 
It wasn't one formula that everybody lived by. You know what it was? The one thing I can point to in every single one of these stories is that the person who was doing the reaching for Jesus was just living their life and they let the Jesus part of them come out. They didn't hide the Jesus part of them. They weren't afraid of the Jesus part of them. They let it come out. Why are you doing this for me? Why are you serving me in this way? Why do you care about my life? Why? Because Jesus cared about me. Because Jesus died for me. Because Jesus loved no matter what. Because I want to love no matter what. And whatever you are going through, I love you. Because Jesus loved me. Verse 38 to 41, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon after speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to, to, to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So there's a couple things from these verses that, that I want us to see, and these really are pretty countercultural. Number one is let's not be quick to criticize people who claim the name of Jesus or people that love Jesus that are outside of our church or that are outside of the way that we do things here or that are outside of the way that we in our minds think or have shaped our whole lives to think that this is how somebody needs to do church or to do life. Let's not be quick to criticize these people. It'd be like cheering against your own team. I mean, we've talked a lot about there's the local church, okay, that's us, we are an individual local church, and then there's the universal church. Okay, the universal church is made up of Christians everywhere. And all of those Christians, most of them, are a part of a local church. And pretty much all of those local church do things differently. Right? It'd be like this. So Jake Troja, the guy that plays bass up here, does sounds sometimes. Um, he's, he's my son Judah's uh, and his son's soccer coach, right? So, and I was able to... to um, assist him in whatever way I could, but I've, I learned a lot about soccer from Jake, and um, I have to say that I think our team is pretty, pretty good. Um, if we actually kept score, we'd be awesome. It'd be sweet. Um, the kids keep score, but the adults are like torn between wanting to keep score and telling the kids, it's not about the score, okay? I'm like, no, kill them. Okay, um, anyway, so our team's made a lot of improvements, and they played the best game they've ever played yesterday. But the number one thing that um, has been consistent in what Jake has always told the, the, the guys when they come over on the sideline is, hey, listen, when the other team has the ball, go for it. Take it, okay? But when your own team has the ball, spread out. Stop trying to steal the ball from your own players because everybody just, they want to do it. And so then we have these personalities that like when someone else scores, they get mad because it wasn't them. Or if someone's trying to score and, and one of their own teammates gets in their way, like we have a little tantrum on our hands, right? And so, but stop trying to steal the ball from your own team, okay? It's just like that. We're on the same team. Claiming Jesus' name, and this is number two from that section. 
claiming Jesus' name, this is the big point of the whole thing, calls us to a certain standard of living. Because what does he say? Listen, if someone is living their life claiming my name, okay, they cannot in one sentence claim to be a follower of Jesus, acting in love, living in love, doing the things that Jesus calls them to do. And then in another sentence or in another part of their life, either by the way they live or by what they say, speak evil about the name of Jesus. Right? So what he's saying is it would make absolutely no sense. It would be counterproductive and hypocritical for someone to say over here, I am living the way I live because of Jesus. And then over here to maybe even the same group of people or a different group of people, what we see in their lives, they say that Jesus has nothing to do with my life. Or I want to veil that part of my life or I don't want to live according to what Jesus says. It just doesn't make sense. It's not the best way to reach people for Christ. We understand that we speak a lot about grace here, right? We talk a lot about grace. And so what I'm not talking about is living a perfect life. But what I am talking about is that when we mess up, we confess it because we want to be prayed for and we want to be healed and we want to move on Okay, with living a life that is Christ-centered. Okay? If someone gives you a cup of water, or if you give someone else a cup of water, just because Jesus told you to serve someone else, you're not going to lose your reward. And then it goes on to talk about roadblocks to that. The number one roadblock is sin. Period. The number one roadblock to not living a hypocritical life is sin. Because what does he go on to say? And what he's talking about here is belief versus unbelief. If someone, by the way they live their life, causes someone else who believes in the name of Jesus and wants to live by the name of Jesus, and they're either a child, or they've believed for a long time. If the way I live my life in claiming Jesus causes someone else to walk away from Jesus, then that is serious. It's so serious that Jesus says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the ocean. Essentially, there's no way you can get out of that unless you're Iron Man. If your foot, your hand, or any other part of your body causes you to sin, cut it off. That seems a little drastic, right? But here's the point. The consequence of undealt with sin are much, much worse than the humility, than the pain, and that, that, that confession brings. Because when I go to you and I show my true colors that I'm not perfect, but I still want to live for Jesus, that I confess these things to you, and I want you to pray for me because I fail sometimes, that's humiliating and it's painful. But the consequences of undealt with sin and the effect of the that it has on the people around you is much, much worse. That's, this is why Jesus calls us to, when we claim his name, live in a certain way. Verse 50 
says this, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. It's a huge responsibility to claim to be a disciple of Jesus. And what is salt? We've talked about this already. Salt is a preservative. A preservative. If those who claim the name of Jesus in this life don't preserve the world and the culture around them by the way that they live, then sin and evil will cause our world to decay and to fall apart. The church and believers who have lived according to the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is the most powerful name in existence is why I think it's why the end hasn't come already. I think it's why we are, our job is to preserve culture. To call people within our own culture to live in a certain way, those who claim Jesus. And to love people outside of that to the name of Jesus. Andrew and Hayova, come on up here. I'm going to have Andrew and Hayova up here. I had a, um, a conversation with them a couple weeks ago at lunch. And these guys... Um, this is Heova Flores and Andrew Cushing. Say hi to these guys. Okay, these guys, I had a conversation with them uh, not too long ago. They are leading our small group for the young singles. They're going through the crazy love study, which is pretty much all about what we're talking about right now. And so, one question that I wanted them to answer for you guys, you can take this, is, and you guys can just answer it how you want, um, what perspectives... Do Christians, people who follow Jesus, people who claim the name of Jesus, what perspectives do we need to have to change a lost and dying world or to win a lost and dying world for Christ? And then what experiences led you to believe that? Uh, I guess for me, uh, I would start by saying just not to put God in a box um, because God can make things happen wherever you are. I am a senior at the University of Iowa and I'm off for a semester doing an internship here, but Going into school, I, I just figured the University of Iowa was like any other school. It was big, just partying and all of that stuff, and didn't really think much about the church side. And um, even in Iowa City, a place that has a bad reputation for a lot of people, it's um, God's still able to work there, and it's amazing. Uh, I met Hayova at the University of Iowa through uh, Salt Company, which is a college ministry both in Iowa City and Ames at Iowa State and um, it's just continued to grow it's a little bit smaller at the University of Iowa but um, it's amazing every year to see God just bring more and more freshmen into um, faith and just to see the religion grow that way so God you God can use you anywhere you are and God can grow his ministry however he sees fit so I definitely agree. Um, I just graduated from Iowa. I met Andrew at Salt Company. Um, never in my life did I ever believe that I was going to be a, a, a Bible study leader, a connection group leader at Iowa, um, but I did. That's how Andrew and I met. We met at, uh, I hosted a connection group in my, in my room, a small one, single. I was an RA at Iowa for a few years. Um, we both were actually. So, you know, we, we didn't think that a lot of kids, a lot of men our age were going to be interested in, you know, a connection group, but God provided. Uh, he broke, broke through our uh, concept of what he could do, of what his power could do. And, you know, we all were cramping 10, 15 
men into a one single room at Iowa, and that was just amazing, confessing sin that never in a, you know, in a hundred years, I would think that a lot of people struggled with, but they did, and um, God provided an opportunity for us to reach out, um, to break down my biases, my pride, my thoughts of what God could do, and it was just an amazing experience, um, growing together as men, you know, encouraging each other every single day, um, and what I really took from that experience at Iowa is that God's love is for the world. God's love is for the nations. It's not just for a local church. It's not just for a certain kind of people. It's not just for, you know, a certain culture. It's for the world. So uh, it's our job. It's our duty as followers of Christ to just bring that hope to the ends of the earth. Wherever God leads us, that's where he wants us to be until his name is proclaimed everywhere and, you know, in every corner uh, of the world. And that's what God is just doing in our lives, and we're just so thankful to be here, uh, to, you know, get in touch with Creekside and to come to, to church with, a, you know, a group of believers who want to claim the gospel um, to the ends of the earth, so. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. I, um, what, what Hale meant to say there was he never thought in his wildest dreams that he would be in a position to lead a young singles group at Creekside Church in Urbandale. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that too. Tim, you guys could come back up. And um, the big question this morning is, what's in a name? Well, there's a lot in a name. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 9, get through real quick. It says this. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and yet the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not recognize him. They did not receive him. But to all who did receive them, who b- receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's the deal. When we claim the name Jesus, we become a part of his family. This should be huge for the way that we live our life. If Jesus had a last name, our last name would become his last name. Right? Like Heather got a huge improvement from Clarkson to Reed. We get a huge improvement from Reed to Jesus. Right? We get to be a part of a new family. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We got a new name. We got a, a new identity. Caitlin, if you could put this picture up real quick. This, uh, this, is, this is beautiful art work right here. This came from our own Mark Klein. Just be in awe. So I was sitting in the back and doing sound on Wednesday night, and Mark is standing up here teaching a bunch of Sparks and TNT kids how death came into the world, okay? And so, this is how simple the gospel is, 
okay? Me, been saved for years. These kids, they might not know what they're about to hear, okay? But I see Mark draw on this thing, and he has death, and he does that thing, and then he said, for death to come into the world, it took one sin. One sin brought death. And then the first thought that came into my mind, and this was super profound to me at that time, one sin brought death, but one death brought life to everyone who would believe in his name. I mean, think about that. I should have died for my sins, but Jesus did. And he gave me a brand new name. When he died, his sin, my sin, was laid on him and he became sin for me. And his righteousness was laid on me was laid on everyone who believes in the name of Jesus for salvation. Now that is a loving God. And that is a loving way to deal with our sin. And so as we sing, think about what it means to come up front or to go in the back and take the bread that represents his body broken for us and the blood in the juice that was spilled for us. Think about what it means when you take this and you remember him and you're claiming the name of Jesus. The most effective way to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus is to take God out of the box, like Andrew said that you put him in, to understand, like Heova said, that the gospel is for every single living person on the planet. And that Jesus wants you to live your life in such a way that brings people to him. That's our mission statement, leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that we've been set free in the name of Jesus from the law of sin and death. You defeated death and gave us a new name, God. I pray that we would be inspired and pushed and desire to to live for you, to give back to you in the way that we live and that we would lead people everywhere whoever we run into, to the name of Jesus that gives ultimate freedom and salvation. We love you in Jesus' name.